The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. Hello, I'm here with Janelle Riley, who is not just the Deputy Awards and Features Editor at Variety Magazine, but also one of my actual closest friends in the world. And I'm really enjoying your radio voice. Thank you very Hello, much. Hello, this is Ben Rock. It's all it's Welcome all Welcome to WBXZ. <laughs> so there is no greater expert that I know of during award season to talk about all the awards coming up. And uh, we just recently had all the Oscar nominations announced, and we wanted to talk to you specifically about the Oscar race for the Best Cinematography Award. The list is, it's only five movies, obviously. It's The Irishman, Rodrigo Prieto, Joker, Lawrence Schur, The Lighthouse, Jaron Blasky, 1917, Roger Deakins, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Robert Richardson. This is an amazing lineup, and yet they may as well call it the Roger Deakins Award. It's going to be really (laughs) hard to beat a one-shot, or, you know, movie designed to look like it's one-shot, with a legend like Roger Deakins behind the camera, who is so beloved and like, you know, also really good at what he does. Yeah, well, but the funny thing is, Roger Deakins was nominated, what, eight times before he won for uh, Blade Runner? More like 13. 13 times? 13 times. What do I know? I I just knew that off the top of my head. I wasn't helped at all by a person with a computer. And then he won for Blade Runner 2049, which, I mean, you know, it was a, a great movie, but I don't even think it cracks his top 10. I agree. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you look at, at what Deakins has done, and you, you even forget that he did things like the Shawshank Redemption. You're mm-hmm. like, holy crap. Yeah, like, how does he lose for those? He's usually up against Robert Richardson, <laughs> I would Fink. say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Like exactly, exactly. And Robert Richardson has won, uh, what did we say, it was three times? Three times. Um, Including one for Hugo, which I didn't even realize that Hugo won any Academy Awards. Well, you know, if it's going to win something, maybe that's the thing it's going sure. to win. And it was uh, Martin Scorsese's only 3D movie. <laughs> I forgot about that. And I, look, it looked beautiful. I did they, see it in 3D. Yeah. No, it looked, it looked it looked amazing. Yeah, I'm not going to criticize any of these people's work when I can't even, like, get a decent Instagram shot. <laughs> so, first, I kind of want to ask you, you do interview a bunch of uh, the cinematographers. Yeah. But just as a variety writer, someone who's covering the Oscar movies... How much does cinematography kind of play into when you're watching a movie, what you're noticing, what gets discussed at a variety between other uh, reporters and editors and stuff like that? Well, I can't really speak for anyone else. And there are people who are much better experts than I am on Mm -hmm. staff that specialize in this. I mean, obviously, we know when a movie doesn't look good. Yeah. Um, And we know when a movie looks amazing. I do think that most of the best cinematography, though, doesn't necessarily call attention to itself. Yeah. It looks beautiful. It looks stunning. It's beyond capable. One of the films nominated here, The Lighthouse, was obviously everyone kept raving about how beautiful it looked because it also had the difficulty level of being in black and white. I mean, I think the cinematography in that movie is stunning. The best thing about it. Stunning. Yeah. And And shot in an unusual aspect ratio. Yeah. Shot in the Academy ratio. It was the one thing that even people who didn't like that movie could walk away. And even people who don't really know about cinematography, they knew that that movie looked stunning. Well, in the previous collaboration that he did with that same director was the witch, which the witch, the witch, the, witch, the VV, I yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, which also is a beautiful movie, and I believe was shot mostly with available light. Wow! So uh, you know they they did some incredible stuff with yeah. that. So, I, I mean, like, let's maybe just kind of go through these in order. And I should say, for full disclosure, we have already spoken to Rodrigo Prieto. In fact, Ilias spoke. I spoke to him yesterday, actually. Yes, oh, yesterday? we had a Q&A Did you with tell him Ilias that hi? I didn't because I didn't know at that point. Someone uh-huh. told me that he had been interviewed by this podcast. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm sure you're thinking of another podcast. Well, I, I didn't think, know I think it was you told one. me that you might be able to hook us up. And it was yeah. before Ilya had, had uh, interviewed him at Camera Image. No, he's... And, you know, I have to say out of all these nominees, Rodrigo has never won. Mm-hmm. He had to work with an entirely brand new technology, what he called, you know, this three-headed beast of like three cameras to do this de-aging. I know some people criticize the de-aging in The Irishman. I think it looks fantastic. 
I think I, the de-aging looks good. The yeah. the one thing that throws me out of it, and I hate to say this, is I feel like you have old men walking sure. around like old men and trying, and I yeah. just, and it's hard for me to look at De Niro in his seventies with with the posture of a man in his seventies, even a very fit man in his seventies, and buy him as someone in his early forties. Sure, there's a scene where he's you know beating out the crap out of someone. At, oh, can uh, I say uh, crap on this? Like you do, yeah. you can say anything you want. <laughs> He, you know, he's beating the crap out of someone and it's like he has the face of, you know, a 35 year old man or however old he's supposed to be. But, you know, it, it, it's hard to mask the posture of you know, exactly. someone who's I think he's 70. And especially given that we've seen 30 something Robert yeah. De Niro in a Scorsese film yeah. beating the shit out of somebody. Well, that was something they actually talked about. They're not trying to make him look like, you know, 30 years ago, he would have looked like he looked in Casino. Correct. They're not trying to make him look like the Robert De Niro we knew. You know, they're trying to make him look like Frank Sheeran yeah, at that age. And it's it's hard because Robert De Niro is so iconic, obviously. But also, if you're going to put Robert De Niro in a movie called The Irishman, like, we're suspending some disbelief. <laughs> we can, you know, he's one of the greatest Italian-American icons of all time. So, you know, it's called acting. <laughs> but, well, but but let's talk a little bit about the, the camera system. Because, yeah. like you brought up, they created, uh, apparently, De Niro and Joe Pesci and Martin Scorsese and all these people said, we don't want to put tracking markers all over the actors' faces. Mm -hmm. We just want to, you know, wig them and have them act like they act. So, like, the hair all looks, yeah. uh, it was all filmed, you know, but they're not in, in heavy makeup of any kind. And so Industrial Light and Magic went off and created this insane setup. It's crazy. And, and... I mean, like, part, um, of, me, yeah. part of me is like, what does this have to do with cinematography? It's really a visual effect. But I feel like it sits in the cinematography so perfectly. It's and he has to light for that. He has to take all of that into consideration. Yeah. And he at this Q&A the other day, he was talking about working so closely with Pablo Hellman, who sort of headed up the visual effects on this movie. And it's one of those things where, you know, obviously it's a collaborative process, but he's like, look, if I don't light it right, these amazing costumes don't look good. Exactly. You know, it's 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 all so tied together. Well, what I appreciate about what they are forcing ILM to do is like move away from the Pirates of the Caribbean model, which is amazing for itself. You know, the first time I ever saw the Davy Jones effect, I was like, oh, yeah. how the hell are they even doing that? So now instead of putting the tracking markers and weird suits and stuff like that on people, they're just having actors come on set and act. And then they have this, these, so that, so there's the main camera that's filming the scene. And then there's two like witness cameras that are uh, infrared, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And so they're able to get like depth information and they can completely build a 3d model of the actor's faces using those three cameras. It's insane. And I Hope we're not getting too off topic here talking about the effects, but no, I, I think it's, it's part of the story. I've heard a lot of criticisms about them, and it really sort of irritates me. And somebody went on and did their own version of the Irishman using yeah, effects they could that. find online. On, and on I was like, one. "Do you really think? Like, sure, you could have made them look younger, but I, I also know that that they went back and said, no, he looks too young here. Put in some more lines, yeah. do a little bit less.' These are people working at the top of their game. Like, yeah, they're not trying to erase all the wrinkles from Robert De Niro's face. They're trying to make it realistic there was somebody similar to that who uh fixed batman verse no it was a uh, justice league where they painted out henry cavill's mustache and <laughs> some, some online guy did that and i was like yeah you you, you figured out how to do something that they weren't able sure. to do very effectively but i actually feel like for the irishman because I, I saw the very video you're talking about and i was like yeah it's not really much of an improvement and i think that they were using deep fake technology yeah which I'm sure that there's some some part of what ilm is doing has something in common with deep fake but it's not the same thing at all. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, Roger Deakins is going to win this because it's tough to top things shot in one take. But Rodrigo would probably actually be my pick. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, let's uh, so. Sure. Yeah. So let's talk about Joker, which was a movie that caught me very off guard, partly because and uh, we talk about it a little bit on the podcast. I have a kid, so I'm the last one to see every movie. I didn't see Joker till the uh, till, till the Pretty screener. Recently. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it, I saw it after the screen after I got mm -hmm. a screener. So I saw it, you know, probably late December. And I was, I had heard so many negative things about Joker right. before I saw it. It's so funny to me. Although like you saw it at, did you see it at? I saw it at Toronto and yeah. I was like, it is not the, they made it sound like people were going to run out and start lighting fires yeah. and trashing buildings. And I was like, it is not what people are making it out to be at well, all. Well, you warned me about the thing that I actually was one of my bigger takeaways, which is like, wow, there's a lot of dancing in this movie. Oh, yes, that's right. Oh my God. They showed it on the SAG Awards last night. They, you know, they just showed so a clip of Joaquin dancing. dancing and I was like, 
hey, that's what he does for a lot of the movie. Well, and yeah. the, and there's and there's like that signature scene after I think he uh, the character guns down those guys in the subway where he goes and he's in a bathroom and he and he kind of does this tai chi whatever yeah. dance. Yeah. And it's like apparently that was just ad libbed. They he just made that up. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, and I'm like, wow, crazy. But that movie could be like 40 minutes shorter without the dancing. <laughs> it'd be no movie. It'd be no movie at all. It'd be like if you if you did like a Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire movie and cut out the dancing. It'd be like 10 minutes long. But one of the things about that movie that blew me away was the look. I think oh, it, yeah. it, it is a, an amazing looking film. And uh, Lawrence Scher has done some amazing work as a cinematographer over the years. But I think he really topped himself with this. Not just with kind of that 1980s nasty ass mm-hmm. looking New York inspired Gotham City, but even some of the more impressionistic stuff that comes in towards the end, like yeah, you know the stuff in the, in the hospital. Uh, it is so beautifully ugly. Yes, like I was just kind of in awe. I was someone was you know complaining to me about like just how icky it made them feel and how gross it looked, and I was like, yeah, but that was the point. I mean, they set out to achieve that, and oh my god, did they achieve it? Yeah, I mean, like they're really kind of creating, especially a dichotomy between the haves and the have-nots. So when you meet like Thomas Wayne or whatever, yeah, everything feels like Disneyland compared to everything you've seen up until that point. Which, like, you can almost feel the urine on the bottom of your shoes as you're as they're going down. <laughs> That's the actually alleys. urine on the bottom of your shoes. <laughs> well, it's because they yeah. shot it in New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to interject here just for one second. You know, for me, actually, Joker, if I have to pick one, that that's my pick. And I think it's the only thing that might threaten 1917, honestly. You know, taking nothing away from any of the other nominees and the movies, Joker has such a stylized and it's so it's so stylized and so masterfully done. As I talk to more and more people about what really stood out about different movies, it's true if you're not up against Roger Deakins in 1917, the thing that everyone keeps talking about to me is Joker. Yeah, no, it's even people who don't like the movie rave about the look and they rave about Joaquin Phoenix's performance, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. The performance is great. And, uh, you know, what I love about it is how it it does smuggle like a gritty character story. And the way that they did it was they called it a a comic book movie. But it's like has nothing to do. We tricked (laughs) you. We tricked into feels. (laughs) Okay, so moving right along through the list, we already spoke a little bit about The Lighthouse, but for those people who didn't see it, because I think it had kind of a limited release. It did, although it was doing well in limited release at first. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think a lot of people just caught it on the festival circuit, too. It played a lot of festivals. Oh, I, I believe it. Yeah. But like, I mean, like I saw it at a regular, it was one of the few movies that I actually left the house. One and, of the five. And, you <laughs> get out five times a year. Yeah, about yeah. five times a year. It was one of those. And uh, I went and saw it with our friend uh, Yuri Lowenthal. He's not my friend. Oh, sorry about no, that. So, sorry to bring up that, that painful moment. <laughs> but uh, no, it was something that I was I was really excited to see. I loved The Witch. I, the I, Witch. I will say I prefer The Witch. Me too. As a movie. Yeah. But The Lighthouse is another one where I feel like the uh, even through the black and white, it you you feel the grossness of the of the place that oh, they're in. Yeah. yeah. The wetness. I the fishy smell. Again, that was urine on your shoes. <laughs> Except in this case, it was Robert Pattinson and, and Willem <laughs> Dafoe's pee. He also had, High you class know, pee. he was actually working in like a ve- very tightly cramped quarters. I you think know, that that's getting what, around. Yeah, they uh, built an actual lighthouse yeah, for that, it. That's what uh, that director does. Yeah, uh, it's Robert Eggers, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that's what he does. Like for for the witch, they built that house, and if I'm not mistaken, they built it out of the out of the wood from the forest that they were shooting near, because that's the wood that it would have been made out of. Wow. Because I always wonder, do botanists go to movies and be like, that's not Toronto, go fuck yourself. But um, yeah, I mean, you you feel the claustrophobia. And yet the cinematography really does like, I feel like the cinematography drives that movie in in a way that. Yeah, very much so. Those close ups on their faces. And he keeps things moving because, and Robert Eggers is like sort of the first person to admit this. The movie is very repetitive. Yeah. And, And yet every scene feels new and fresh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it almost feels like a Samuel Beckett play or something, that, you know. Mm, yes. Um, but that that's kind of the fun of it. And then it but it does go into like some wild fantasy moments yeah. Yeah. where there's some fantastic VFX driven or whatever stuff. There's some gross stuff, but you can't look away because it's so beautiful to look at. I know, I know. I mean, I think the movie's been out long enough. I can talk about like the disemboweled Robert Pattinson and mm-hmm. his guts eaten by a seagull. And you're like, that's disgusting. But all oh, the framing. It, I mean, it is it is some gorgeous framing. It is. And I believe that exact team is now working on a remake of Nosferatu. Ooh. 
if I'm not mistaken. You know, I heard for a while that Robert Eggers wanted to do that, but I didn't know if it was a go or not. Because that's originally what he talked to Robert Pattinson about before they came up with The Lighthouse. And Pattinson likes to joke, like, I felt that was a little too close to home because he's played a vampire. You may <laughs> have heard of these films so called Twilight. Like would he be like the Max Shrek character? Or would he be the, uh, the, uh, the... <laughs> well, that's the other thing. They put Willem Dafoe, who played Max Shrek. Oh, that's Like, true. there's Nosferatu <gasps> all over this movie. You just blew my mind. Oh, my God. There's brain matter all over the walls. <laughs> All right, so Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, now, I mean, uh, Robert Richardson. Come on. He's amazing. Yeah, legend. Legend. And he's been basically, he's been Tarantino's exclusive director of photography since Kill Bill. Wow. And he just must capture feet so beautifully. <laughs> he must be like, I wonder if they have a special measuring tape they use for the feet. <laughs> I feel like we can all joke about this now because Brad Pitt won the SAG Award uh-huh. and, you know, did the joke, Quentin has separated more people from their shoes than the TSA. <laughs> so it's like, OK, we all know we can all laugh about it. Although I noticed they didn't cut to Quentin in the audience. That's funny. Yeah. Well, when you're Brad Pitt, you can kind of say anything yeah, you want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I will say that watching that movie, I really was like, man, there's a lot of shots of bare feet in this movie, <laughs> like a whole lot of shots of bare feet. Dirty bare feet. Yeah. But I mean, Robert Richardson, I think one of the most influential cinematographers of the last 30 years, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, shot most notably a lot of Oliver Stone's best known work, including JFK, Natural Born Killers, all, all of those. And he's one of those DPs where I would sometimes go see movies just because he shot them. Like I saw Snow Falling on Cedars just oh, because he shot it. Yeah. This is a gorgeous film. Beautiful, beautiful. And, and also he shot a bunch of uh, Errol Morris documentaries. Which really? I, I didn't yes. know that. Yeah. He shot Fast, Cheap and Out of Control and he shot Mr. Death. Really? And I think he's shot parts of some of the other ones. So, uh, like, I think sometimes he'll go in and work with Errol Morris on uh, interviews and stuff. Ellen Curis also shot, who we interviewed, she shot um, his most recent thing, Wormwood, that was on uh, Netflix. Oh, which I still haven't watched. It's brilliant. That's See, I started to watch an episode, and then, you know, you get distracted by, like, Big Mouth uh, yeah. or something that's a little flashier. You, you, you had me at Errol Morris makes a documentary <laughs> about a C, uh, CIA uh, conspiracy. But what can we say about Robert Richardson's cinematography? It Like, it's more... It, I feel like it's crazy to say this. Out of this list, maybe the least showy of, of all Isn't of Isn't that funny? Yeah. But that's sort of what I like about it is that it's not calling attention to itself. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's solid. When you stop to think about it, you think about some of those beautiful, like the scene at Spawn Ranch. Oh, my God. That's, yeah. that, that whole sequence should be, that's my favorite part of the movie. But Mine, too. I would watch a yeah. whole movie of that. Yeah. Actually, I take that back because Leonardo DiCaprio is so good in this movie that yeah. I probably one of my favorite scenes just has to be him flipping out. So, or even when he um, confronts uh, the Manson family at the end, he's oh got like God. the blender in his hand. <laughs> so good. Yeah. If if Leonardo DiCaprio had not just won an Oscar, I fully believe he'd be winning for this movie. Well, it, it, it's movies like this that sometimes come along to remind us why people like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are movie stars. Yes. Stars and great actors. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like really like just compelling to watch. And in a way, I sort of feel like it almost feels more like the Brad Pitt character's movie in so many ways. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I was just thinking out of out of this list it, it well with the exception of joker which has been endlessly gift and memed mm-hmm. um we have robert richardson to thank for you know brad pitt on a roof taking off his shirt oh for sure which works its way into my timeline 10 times a day <laughs> so he might have created one of the most memorable images of the year yeah the whole movie to me is an amazing achievement and uh you know i i'm i'm bummed out that we're probably only going to get one more tarantino movie which i assume i don't buy that richardson i don't think that guy can help himself what tarantino said he's gonna do is he's 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 like i said i was only gonna make 10 movies i didn't say i wasn't gonna work in television i didn't you know so like i could see tarantino making a netflix series well first of all he's already made 10 movies so right there you know has he well he's ignoring four rooms and i think he's not counting he didn't make the whole proof he didn't make the whole movie all right i think there's some neb and also um i think he's counting kill bill as one movie I mean, I think Kill Bill should be counted as one movie. You are factually wrong. Well, I know it was released as two <laughs> movies, but it was made as one movie. Like when he shot it, he intended it to be mm. one movie. So, I don't know. But it was released as two movies. Correct. Yes. Janelle, I love having you tell Ben he's wrong. <laughs> just going to add that right now. That's so... Well, he's wrong all the time. It's true. So it gets so, exhausting. So wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you're, you're not incorrect. I'm I mean, you're, look at your shirt. It's, he's wearing a shirt that says Helvetica, but it's in a Comic Sans font. So. It's true. I love this shirt. Yeah. Clearly, you love being wrong. This shirt gives people headaches, and they don't know why. All right. So so let's round it up with the one that you're saying is a fait accompli. Yeah. Roger, Roger Deakins, Deakins for 1917. 1917. They rehearsed that movie, I think, for six months. 
Oh, that's interesting because Ryan Johnson said on Twitter they shot it in real time, and that <laughs> oh, they. Oh, that's what you were yeah, telling me about. The- yeah, he started this this uh, string of tweets about how he talked to Sam Mendes at the Producers Guild Awards, and they shot it in real time. And poor Benedict Cumberbatch was there six months, you know, just waiting for his scene. And every time he would hear like over the walkie, "We're going again," and he'd think, "Oh, they're getting closer. They're getting closer." No, it's <laughs> it's obviously designed to look like it was shot in one shot, but it was funny how many people believed it. And That's we're so saying funny. to Ryan Johnson, like, I can't tell if you're kidding or not. <laughs> As if. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it's funny. But like, uh, so there's a movie from probably 10 years ago or more called The Silent House. Yeah. that was shot in this similar method uh, with Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, well, her first like big role. I think it came out the same year as Martha Marcy May Marlene. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah I think she was at Sundance with both of them. And I saw it in yeah. the theater. It was actually shot on the Canon 5D, the first DSLR. And and that camera, had, uh, I still own uh, a 5D Mark II, uh, had like a hard 11 minute. Uh, oh, that's length. right. They had to swap it out. So they had to like yeah. figure out every 11 minutes they had to start a new take somehow. So they had to figure out how to hide the cuts. Yeah. What was interesting, you know, like the, the problem being a filmmaker and watching a movie like 1917 is that I it, it's hard for me to get fully immersed especially when the gimmick is so in the foreground you're looking for it yeah, yeah. I'm looking for it. I admit it I was too yeah and it's like I kept noticing like I think it's right there and they would always do it like right where you wouldn't imagine them doing it I couldn't see it I literally could and I kept wondering where they did their cut I mean I think they did it with a lot of visual effects kind of stuff yeah. like they'd go behind a foreground element and then it would wipe the frame or something like that and it wasn't like the frame goes completely black and then comes out of it it's like you know they're behind a tree but it's just enough uh, this is my guess i don't actually know but it's like just enough to have like an element that completely obscures the frame that that travels across it that they can wipe between one take and another take and you don't notice it i mean in the last movie that was done in a one take style that won the oscar was a Birdman, Mm -hmm. obviously and that i didn't feel like they were trying to hide you know yeah 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 they, they were they were they were sort of acknowledging like okay here's obviously and and also watching that movie i actually feel like I wouldn't have noticed right away that it was done in one take. Whereas like from 1917, unfortunately, because of the PR, I went in looking for it. Well, I I mean, I had, I think, heard about it. But again, in my uh, baby adult brain, I I don't know what I hallucinated half the time. So, you know, I I threw on the screener and I was like, I think this is all one thing. And then, you know, when it started, I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, yeah, yeah, we're in it. But I, I mean, I was really impressed how they did it. I mean, like, imagine the complexity of doing that with natural light, meaning mm. you, you you don't have a way to control the light. You have to wait for the light to match the way you want it to match. The nighttime scenes, I imagine, you know, they had complete control over. But m- most of the movie takes place during the day. So you're kind of stuck with, you know, like waiting for cloud cover because they because the whole thing is kind of a little bit overcast. But yeah, so I heard actually on uh, the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith, he interviewed uh, the writer. and uh, Christy she- or Sam? Because uh, Sam Mendes co-wrote it with Christy wilson Cairns. It was Christy wilson Cairns, okay. And she was talking about how they had rehearsed it for six months. So they wow. they literally rehearsed every scene, every shot, all the blocking. And I mean, that's Sam Mendes coming out of a, 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 as, a as a theater director, yeah. somebody who has who's who knows how to do that part of it. And so to a certain degree, you know, every play that you ever see is is one long one or so. Yeah. So that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, to me, it is it is impressive. But also there are moments of just truly inspired cinematography like i'm thinking about the nighttime scenes where the uh, the, the fires and the, you know it's so funny when i saw that in the movie i saw george mckay or mckay i think it might be mckay actually steps into the frame and you know he's looking at the whole city on yeah. fire and i was like that's the ad they're yeah. gonna pull that photo for the ad it's so beautiful it's also gorgeous and but i mean that's what deacons does i mm-hmm. think sometimes is is he finds kind of the ugliness and the beauty and the beauty and the ugliness and kind of combines them in an interesting way and i mean the movie is just so full of that which might also be the front runner for best picture uh, so. it's it's definitely a contender for best picture yeah. i i feel like parasite is, is parasite has been what i've been saying since uh september Honestly, but but uh, 1917 did just win the Producers Guild Award. Mm-hmm. Same preferential ballot as the Oscar Oscars use. It's generally considered whatever wins that becomes the front runner. But yes, I am I am also probably sticking with Parasite, which weirdly wasn't even nominated in this category. It should have been nominated it in this category. It should have been. I they've never made a peach look so beautiful and, and menacing. <laughs> yeah, I I love in Parasite all the scenes. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it, but. Uh... But if you haven't seen it, I doubt you're listening to this. That's a good point. This is but like all the scenes yeah. in kind of the hidden fake basement yeah, in that movie. Yeah. Oh my god! What I loved yeah. is that I just never knew where the hell that movie was headed. Yeah. And it was just so, so tense. 
and yet funny and and I don't know. I, I mean, I love that movie. Who do you take out of this lineup? I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to point fingers. There's yeah. one or two that I would put Parasite above. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to say. Like, okay, so 1917. Before we even get to the ones that we feel like were overlooked that mm-hmm. that should be in this list, which I think you and I both are in agreement that uh, Parasite would be on that list. 1917, possibly the showiest of these, because it's one of those movies that absolutely the showiest m- made to look like it's one continuous shot. Right, but. I believe that there is a strong narrative reason for that and how it just kind of never lets you take a breath. I agree with that. I do think that there were scenes where it was distracting, but that's a directorial choice. Mm -hmm. I will not argue with anything Roger Deakins does. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Deakins is, as far as this podcast is concerned, sort of. (laughs) As far as the world is concerned. Yeah. He's he's, he's a god. Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's sort of like, well, no, I don't want to say that because I was, you know, how actors. They don't always win for the movie they should. Yeah. It's like, again, he won for Blade Runner 2049, which was probably the best shot movie that Gorgeous year. Film, yeah. But like, I wouldn't put it in his personal top 10. So what would you say? Oh is my le- God. Where do you even start with Roger Deakins? I mean, to me, I've Shawshank? already, I've, I've already yeah. said it. Yeah. Shawshank would be my favorite Deakins film. Probably. I think mine too. Barton Fink would, Barton would, Fink. would be high on that list. A lot of the work that he's done for the Coens though, you know, Barton Fink, Hudsucker Proxy, which I recently rewatched. Uh, Sicario. Sicario's Sicario gorgeous. is yeah. a stunning movie. Skyfall. Oh, of course, Skyfall. And Skyfall was nominated, if I'm not mistaken. He was, yeah, wasn't he? There was also, um, he lost one year to There Will Be Blood. Mm -hmm. And it was a year that I actually, I think, oh, it was No Country for Old Men. Yeah, Didn't he shoot that? Yeah, Yeah. he shot, I mean, I think the only Cohen movies he hasn't shot. Please say Lady Killers. Uh, no, I'm pretty sure he shot Lady Killers. Actually, I, I just rewatched Lady Killers. First of all, it looks stunning. Yeah, it's surprisingly good. It's not that bad. No, it's not. I wouldn't so far go so far as to say good, but... I liked it more than I remembered liking yeah, it in the theater. same. And when you're the Coen brothers, you're allowed to make a dud every Damn now and then. Damn straight. Because and the, I like that everybody in that movie is trying to do something different. Yeah, but he didn't shoot Burn After Reading, mm. and he didn't shoot uh, Inside Lewin Davis. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And I don't believe he shot The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh, which is a movie I actually really like. I love the, yeah. the Battle of Buster yeah. Scruggs. Well, I mean, you know, the, the Coens definitely have a look that they achieve no matter who they're with. I do think that their earlier films, which were shot by Barry Sonnenfeld, who shot their first three movies, they have a different vibe than everything since then, which starts with Barton Fink. And that's when they started working with Deacons. Every time you say Barton Fink, all I can think of is the Simpsons episode where they're going to sneak into an R-rated movie and they're like, <laughs> it's called Barton Fink. And then they drive off and they're all chanting, Barton Fink, Barton Fink. <laughs> So what would you say are some of the movies from this year that where the look really jumped out at you that weren't recognized? Well, there is a fantastic female cinematographer named Claire Maton, Mm -hmm. who was a DP both on Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which absolutely should have been nominated. Haven't seen stunning, it. Sorry, stunning. Well, it's person. just starting to come out. Um, I, I think I have the screener for it. And I was oh, like, it's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, she also was the DP on The Atlantics. Oh, wow. Which is another gorgeous movie. I mean, she is phenomenal i know it was a really tough year again this is a, a really hard list yeah, to break into yeah. but i i do feel you know if if the movies had just been seen a little more especially portrait of a lady on fire she should have been on that list yeah we had interviewed the dp of jojo rabbit and i feel like jojo rabbit yeah. should have gotten a little bit of nomination love for that movie uh i thought it looked amazing i thought the look really underscored what they were doing with it which was to kind of swing from farce to tragedy Mm -hmm. in a way that is very hard to do effectively and it and uh it definitely worked for me stunning looking film yeah yeah and and a very unique look although you know it it has it shares dna with wes anderson movies which are amazing looking yeah 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 yeah. so it it had like one of the most unique looks of the year for sure yeah i gotta say i think possibly the biggest snub might be for Faden for Ford v Ferrari. Now, granted, I know it's only five, and it's not like any of the others are are somehow less deserving. But uh, I thought Ford v Ferrari had some of the most beautiful stuff I I saw this year. Period. He's a brilliant cinematographer. He did Nebraska, mm-hmm. I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which, which again, was a movie that you know, yes, it was black and white, but it, it, it there was so much more to it than that. It was so beautiful. He's also, I think, done if not all, most of James Mangold's yeah. non superhero movies. He did Walk the Line. Yeah, I know that, which is a, I think, as strange as it sounds, a very underrated movie. No, I think it's amazing. It's the, I think it's the first time where I was like, oh wow, uh, Joaquin Phoenix really has yep. range because. Up until then, I always thought of Joaquin Phoenix as the guy from To Die For. I know that that's a terrible thing to say. No, he's great in 
that movie. But, There's but no like when I saw To Die For, I was like, wow, that actor lucked out and getting this role because he ain't going to do anything <laughs> else. And then it's like, no, turned out to be Joaquin Phoenix. He also shot 310 to Yuma. Yeah, which well, is that's a wonderful movie. Another, yeah. another James Mangold movie. Yep. And, and, you know, when we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, reminding me anyway about like why Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are amazing actors and amazing movie stars. 310 to Yuma, I think, does that for oh, Russell Crowe because so I think good. Russell Crowe had gone down such a rabbit hole of doing like complex character stuff that was like all internal and then it was like oh no russell crowe actually is a movie star like oh he's so good and uh ben foster also just amazing in that movie faden is actually working with aaron sorkin on his next movie oh sweet yeah trial of the chicago seven which has like this crazy cast and a great story and I'm, i'm very very curious i think it comes out actually this year so maybe he'll be back you know, one that I think actually also was overlooked, although I don't know that it's one that I would see necessarily winning, was Knives Out. Oh, Knives Out is great. And it, yeah. but, but it's got a great look. It's shot by yeah. Steve Yedlin, uh, you know, who's I think shot every one of Ryan Johnson's movies. But like I always think of the composition of all those shots with all the knives in them, you know, like that weird room that had like all the knives in the wall or whatever. And I think that it's a throwback to a kind of movie nobody makes anymore. Yep. And, you know, what Ryan Johnson does with everything that he does is he kind of explodes the genre and picks it apart and then reassembles it his own way. And I feel like it does that with the whodunit where they tell you whodunit like almost immediately. Which is so creative. Yeah. I, re- I really like that. I just watched that movie again recently. Yeah. I, don't, I feel like that movie was kind of underappreciated because it is eccentric. But so what? By the way, um, Faden did get an uh, ASC nomination which i think is really for interesting. ford v ferrari yeah that is worth noting yeah <laughs> i'm trying to figure out who they left off they uh, it's roger faden rodrigo robert and lawrence no jaron so oh yeah so they left off the lighthouse that makes sense yeah yeah because yeah, that one really did kind of go under the radar for a long time well it's interesting because i feel like the academy doesn't necessarily award small movies all the time although sometimes something like the hurt locker will squeak through and and get a lot of Oscar gold. But um, The Lighthouse isn't a big in-your-face, can't go two blocks without seeing a billboard for it kind of movie in, you know, the same way that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood certainly was. And I feel like 1917 came out a little bit later, but we're certainly besieged with a lot of 1917-related marketing and stuff. All right, so I know we've been talking about cinematography, and this is the Cinematography Podcast, but we have to talk a little bit about some of the other races in particular, Best Picture, and uh, there's sort of a first this time. Uh, we have a movie made uh, in, a, in another country, nominated, and has a real, real shot of winning for Best Picture. It's It seems to be the odds-on Vegas Atlantic City uh, favorite, Parasite. What do you guys think? Do you think Academy voters will try to send a message, try to actually make uh, people pay attention that, hey, movies are made elsewhere in the world that are really, really amazing and maybe uh, deserve to be included in this category? Well, and, and, and real quick, too, before you even get into that, it's not just that it's made in a different country it's that it's in another language mm, yes and there are no american actors of any kind in it um i have to be honest i think the majority of academy voters just vote for what they like i mean looking at green book last year you know everyone told them you shouldn't like this movie you shouldn't vote for this movie and they were like we like it and they did it was not you know a manipulated thing there was a real passion for that movie like it or not but do you think that there's a bias for you know the whole oscar so white thing like do you think that there's a bias for movies that appeal to let's say an older whiter demographic i think it could it definitely can't hurt parasite that all the movies they're nominated against you know feature prom prominently white people Mm -hmm. um and mostly men you know parasite actually has men and women in prominent roles. Yeah. It's a real ensemble piece. I was really happy it won the SAG Ensemble. First foreign language film to ever do that. Actually, only the second after Life is Beautiful to even be nominated in that category. Oh, I, I've forgotten that oh, Life is Beautiful was nominated. Yeah, yeah. And it was, um, you know, last year Roma came very close as a movie in a foreign language. Uh, but I think it oh, also that's had, Alfonso Cuaron, who's so well known over here. Exactly. And I think it had a lot to do with Netflix bias, which I mm-hmm. think is wearing off. I think that it's only a matter of time before a Netflix movie wins Best Picture, and we just have to I mean, it could that. be this year. The Irishman is it, nominated. It actually could, yeah. Um, I mean, I really do think it's it's down to Parasite, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Irishman. Interesting. that you I, Like, I'm surprised because in my heart, I don't feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is really in that Oh, mix. there's so much passion for it. And, you know, it did win. I mean, these are not Oscar voters, but it won mm-hmm. the Golden Globe for Best Picture. It won the Critics' Choice for Best Picture. I thought it had a real... I, I thought if Parasite didn't win, it would win the SAG Award for Ensemble. Hollywood loves movies about movies. That's true. Yeah, it would not surprise me if it won. 
That is true. Movies like The Artist win all yeah. the time. Or Argo, which is kind of yeah. about Hollywood saving people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that that movie is very beloved. That's what, that's why I really, you know, right now the 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 logic is on 1917 as the PGA winner. Really? Okay. PGA award winner. Yeah. And Parasite is the SAG Ensemble winner. Um, we have the DGA awards coming up. It's considered a showdown between Sam Mendes and Bong Joon-ho. Mm-hmm. And whoever wins that, I think, will probably take Best Picture. I mean, I, I think Paris, I think the wind is in Parasite sales right now. I've thought that since September, and people have been telling me I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but but people love 1917. You know, it's it's pretty tough to deny. So let's talk about a, a little bit the, the Best Picture nominees that aren't nominated for cinematography. Interestingly, Ford v. Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Little Women and marriage story mm-hmm. uh, and parasite parasite which we discussed yeah, yeah yeah the movies you just named also didn't get a director nom oh i guess that's yeah, true. yeah which is which is why i'm not considering them front runners i really like the movies this year by the way for the most I part i think this has been an incredibly yeah, strong been a year. really good year i mean i know you and i don't necessarily agree on 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 this across the board but i would say for me personally jojo rabbit 1917 and parasite any one of those would be the best picture most years. I'd be fine with most of these winning. I mean, like, I'm not going to argue with Little Women. I'm not going to argue with Marriage Story, which had a screenplay mm-hmm. I loved. How about Greta Gerwig, her second movie as director, being nominated for Best Picture? I know. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's she's pretty great. Well, and there was a bit of hubbub, though, when the nominations came out that women were being overlooked a lot. And I think the biggest one was The Farewell. That, that... Well, see, this is the thing. Everybody was upset about Little Women, which I understand because it was nominated for so many other awards and there is that question of did it cast and write itself you know i always wonder um, about that when something is nominated for best picture or wins best yes. picture but not best director it's like you very know, strange that was that was always yeah. the thing with spielberg where spielberg movies would always get nominated for best picture but not best director so greta works the new spielberg i think she'd be happy with that <laughs> no um i understand but i also think we're we're uh not talking about lulu wong mm-hmm. who the farewell was one of my favorite movies of the year there's actually so many wonderful movies directed by women in this last season and it's you know Marielle Heller is eventually going to win an Oscar there's no doubt about that she did Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood mm-hmm. last year she had uh, probably yeah, my, I was one surprised my favorite that movies. Didn't get nominated that movie is yeah. really really beautiful and well I done I think people thought it would be a Mr. Rogers biopic oh. yeah yeah and it's, but we had that a year earlier that's how I feel it's with, so in, much in more documentary than that form. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I really like that movie yeah, I yeah. mean it's 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 about what he stood for and yeah. and about a, a character being changed by that. I I some I got into kind of a not an argument but a debate with somebody on Facebook about why wasn't Tom Hanks nominated for best actor instead he was nominated for best supporting actor because it's a supporting role. Yeah, he's yeah. not the lead role in that. He's not the protagonist. I mean, in of that, that person's defense, the marketing did make it look yeah, like he was the lead. So I understand the question, but when you see the movie, you won't ask that question. No, he. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely you know leaves a mark on it, and Tom Hanks is like slowly playing every every yeah. childhood uh, beloved person who ever lived. I'm waiting. Maybe uh, we can get him in the Captain Kangaroo biopic. <laughs> Wasn't Captain Kangaroo a jerk though? Uh, I, don't, I might be making that I up. I might be I thinking of an old Saturday Night Live sketch, but I, I thought that uh, it's, is, it's Bob Keeshan. Is that his name? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So Captain Kangaroo was nothing but uh, hookers and crack cocaine. <laughs> Wait, see, I would see that movie. Get the director of Hustlers. Get Lorraine <laughs> Scafaria, another brilliant director. I don't know if you saw her movie, The Meddler. I did not see with that. With Susan Sarandon. Really fantastic movie. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I wasn't the world's biggest fan of Hustlers, although I I do uh, I do appreciate it for what it is, which mm-hmm. you know to me was like it was kind of a late summer kind of a fun crime movie. All I know is Constance Wu has starred in two of the like highest grossing movies two years in a row, mm-hmm. and you know people need to start taking her seriously as a really good actress. I didn't realize people weren't taking her seriously. I don't know. I mean, like you know, we'll see. I think. There's a there's a lack of roles out there, good roles for women, mm-hmm. um, lack of good roles for Asian women. Um, she just needs to keep working. Well, how much does box office kind of play into this stuff? Because I, I do feel like something like The Farewell was a movie that didn't have, again, it didn't have an enormous release. No, made money, though. Did, did mm-hmm. you know, they definitely made their money back, which sometimes is better than being like a giant hit. Although this year, you know, Joker made over a billion dollars. Yeah, nobody and, was expecting yeah, that. Yeah, and everyone saw it, which definitely helped Joaquin's odds. 
of course. I would say. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think sometimes that kind of thing can blow up in your face, uh, yep. awards wise, when something becomes. You they know, don't want you to be too successful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then again, I feel like Joker, without saying anything negative about any of the individual movies, the DC Cinematic Universe has not been the most consistent. Uh, it's certainly not as consistent as Marvel. And so it was kind of crazy to see Joker come out and have like yeah. nothing in common with Justice League or any of those movies. Thank God. Does not feel <laughs> like it's in that universe. You know, I saw Joker at Toronto and they came out and they introduced Todd Phillips, uh, the co-writer director. And they they were I, I get what they were doing, but they were sort of like, you know, nothing in this guy's past would prepare you for how great this movie is. Mm-hmm. And they started listing his credits, you know, old school, the hangover. And I actually got sort of irritated because comedies are so hard to get right. Yeah. And like it should not be a surprise to anyone that Todd Phillips is a good director. And that he and that DP have been working together, I think, since The Hangover. Really? Yeah. But like, you know, you, we have Adam McKay, who is now, you know, the stepbrothers director, who is now an Oscar winner. Anchorman. For the short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I am a big stepbrothers fan. Um, like, can we sort of move past that idea that just because you started in well, comedy? And, you know, well, in his HBO series is, uh, you know. Succession. Ar- arguably one yeah. of the best series on television so right now. Good. And and sort of like what I was saying about Jojo Rabbit, about walking this weird line between farce and tragedy. Succession mm-hmm. completely does that in every episode. Did you see Taika Waititi's Mandalorian episode? I did. He needs to win every award for that. That well, was a spectacular. I actually ran into him not too long ago, and I com- I was so excited because they had just aired that episode, mm-hmm. and I could not stop fawning over it. And I completely forgot he had directed Jojo Rabbit <laughs> until someone was walking by, and they're like, I really like Jojo. And I was like, oh, yeah, congratulations on that, too. But we have got to talk about Mandalorian. <laughs> Well, I mean, to me, that's what's what's interesting about The Mandalorian, actually, is how I feel like that maybe is everyone's takeaway in motion pictures this year. Like, I I do wonder how all the people behind uh, The Rise of Skywalker must feel, given that The Mandalorian, at a fraction of the cost, came through and basically is the Star Wars thing of this generation. Rise of Skywalker is doing just fine. It has a billion dollars. You know, they should have just put Baby Yoda in there. They should. Let me tell you, Baby Yoda, everything he touches, Laura Dern is, you know, probably going to win Best Supporting Actress Mm -hmm. for her role in Marriage Story. She got a lot of PR out of talking about Baby Yoda. (laughs) So everything he touches. Baby Yoda is is just a stroke of genius. I mean... I, there's there's nobody who doesn't love that little guy. I, I, I mean, yeah. I couldn't wait to watch the next episode. Me too. Every episode of that was uh, was just uh, catnap. I don't even know if the show is good, is it? I'm just so in love with Baby Yoda. I think the show... I think the show's really good, but... The show is good, but it's like a throwback <laughs> to like a 1980s kind of space adventure, like a Buck Rogers kind of thing. It's very episodic, in my opinion. I saw people in complain. In a good way. I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean that as a negative. I feel like we've gotten TV so complex and layered, and it's like it's great to see a story that's just like about one guy trying to do one thing, every episode. I saw people kind of complaining about how, you know, it doesn't carry over from episode to episode, and I was like, I don't want it to. I need to know at the end of every week, Baby Yoda's safe (laughs) and then episode seven they ended on a cliffhanger yeah and i had to spend a week worrying and i was like this is what you all asked for you bastards and then when those two stormtroopers punched baby yoda i'm like you're both gonna die that would uh jason sudeikis and adam pally that was great or is it paley i'm not sure either way they are they are on the list now Some other Best Picture nominees to talk about. We already talked a little bit about Ford, Ford v. Ferrari, which uh, did not get a cinematography nod. And Little Women, which I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I would put Little Women in a category with something like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I feel like it looks great. The look services the story uh, beautifully and perfectly. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's no reason that that movie couldn't have been nominated for Best Cinematography. I don't think there's any way to mess up Little Women. It's such a great story. <laughs> and what I really like about this version is Greta Gerwig kind of added a little bit about the author of it, Louisa May Alcott. Yeah. Sort of what it was like. My favorite sequences are she gets her book published. Well, Joe March gets her book published, but it's a stand-in for Louisa. And yeah, it's it's just hard not to get all the feels watching those scenes. I, I, I wonder about that. Marriage Story I have not seen, so I can't you speak to it. You need to see Marriage Story. I know, story. I need to see it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I... <sighs> The acting I, 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 in that I film. have about one hour a week to watch movies. So okay, uh, so watch the first part this week and then finish it up next week. It's on that, Netflix. That's what I did with the Irishman. I it's watched, not going it, I watched it in two chunks. Um, <laughs> Noah Baumbach has really done something special with Marriage Story, and I actually I, I look at this list of director nominees and I understand that you know some people couldn't make the cut, but that movie is so it is so his voice. 
Mm-hmm. It's so specific that it it, it, it it bums me out a little bit that he missed the cut there. Do you think that a movie like that, people look at it and go like, it's being carried by the actors? I mean, because it's basically, again, I say this having not seen it, but what I know of it, it's a character story. It's it's a character piece. So it's not about showy visuals. And Noah Baumbach has never been about showy visuals. This His writing for this movie, though, is some of the lines are just so beautiful and they just cut you to the bone. And I, I think people are really, I mean, like Adam Driver and Laura Dern, everybody agrees, they're amazing. But I think people really are recognizing that it that Noah Baumbach made this picture. Mm-hmm. You know that that he makes it look easier than it is. But I don't know. I mean, you could you can only have five, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, again, I like I I feel like I would not be upset if Parasite was on that uh, list and not. It, I I don't know. I I don't want again. I don't want the DP the, list. Yeah, that's yeah. What I'm talking about. It's hard because you're I, talking I, about. I, I don't yeah. want to be the one to weed out any of the other geniuses who shot mm-hmm. those five amazing films. But uh, but, you know, I do think Parasite could be on there. You know, I do think Jojo Rabbit could be on there. I think I think that they're I don't know, maybe maybe it's it's just hard to narrow it down to five. It's so hard. It, I mean, like best actor this year was insanity. Like, you know, we knew Adam Driver and Joaquin Phoenix were getting nominated. Mm. But then you have people like Robert De Niro and Eddie Murphy and Adam Sandler and Taron Egerton. Who won the Golden Globe, yeah. but didn't make the cut for Oscars? Like it was a bloodbath. You say that, and you just reminded me. Dolomite is my name. Is is the most shafted movie of the year? Oh, it was my, my favorite movie of the year. It yeah. was so good, yeah. and it looks great. It looks great. The the costumes, the fact that the costumes were nominated by the yeah. legendary Ruthie Carter, the screenplay. Uh, yeah, written by Scala Alexander and Larry Karaszewski. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. He was in um, Kauai the same time I was Whoa. after Christmas. Yeah. Well, when I saw Dolomite is My Name, I was like, this is so much like Ed Wood in all the perfect ways. Yeah, yeah. Like, it reminded me so much of Tim Burton's Ed Wood. I liked it more than Ed Wood. That's how highly I will praise it. And for a long time, Eddie Murphy was my pick for best actor. I knew it was a long shot. It's a comedy. But his work in that is sublime. Well, isn't it time? I, I, again, I know we're about cinematography, but isn't it isn't it about fucking time that Eddie Murphy gets recognized by the Academy? Yes and no. I mean, what has he done in the last 10 years that you would call Academy worthy? That's part of the problem. Well, yeah. Yeah. But when he wants to show up. And, b- and by the way, I'm not shading. Norbit doesn't yeah. get its due. <laughs> and here's the thing. He has been making choices because he, he has a big family. He's making family movies. I'm not shading his choices. But when it comes to like Academy movies, he can win if he like wants to get out there and pursue those movies. But I also don't fault him for wanting to do big family friendly films. But something like Dolomite is My Name is such a great character study. And frankly, it is perfect for Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. right now at the age Eddie Murphy is playing that kind of a character. I mean, like it's, it's almost too perfect because it's about somebody who was a stand-up comedian who was like super raunchy yeah. who decides to make a movie. And then, and then from that point forward, it really is so much like Ed Wood where it's just about the ecstatic joy yeah. and the miserable failures that go into making this, this cult movie. And, and how unlike fantastic. Ed Wood, unlike Ed Wood, this movie is like a movie that is beloved by millions. Right. I compared it to uh, the disaster artist of Tommy Wiseau was likable. Yes. Yeah. Like you can't help but love Rudy Ray Moore. I also thought Wesley Snipes should Brilliant. have been considered just his reactions. Yes. Dave, I enjoy Randolph, who was such a revelation. One of my favorite like breakthroughs of the year. Like I, and that movie was shut out, right? It was not completely it, shut out. It wasn't nominated for anything. No, no. And you know, again, I, we can go on and on and say that there's so many deserving people. The farewell was also completely shut out. Mm. That boggles my mind. Um, I knew that Zhao Shuzhen had was a bit of a long shot in supporting actress, but I thought the screenplay was a lock. The thing about the farewell is, like, I heard Oscar-y buzz around the farewell, and yet Dolomite is my name. I, I heard kind of nothing. Like it came out. Uh, I watched, I wish I could have seen it in the theater, but I watched it on Netflix because that was how I could see it. But, uh, you know, to me, like The Farewell feels like an Oscar movie. Dolomite is one of those movies that sneaks into the Oscars kind of through the side door. And I I think each for their own reasons, it's a bummer that they're not being represented. Do you think that that is kind of a manifestation of the Oscar so white thing? Is Is it that the people in the Academy who are nominating these movies are are not in touch with that kind of stuff? Oh, gosh, I don't know, because I mean, yes, is the obvious answer. <laughs> you know, your your voting body is going to kind of reflect what they know and, and they like seeing themselves on screen. Mm-hmm. But I also think that it, it was just a very crowded year. Farewell was a small release, although yeah. I, I it, honestly, that one still baffles me. I thought Aquafina also deserved recognition. Well, and again, somebody who's who's 
not just getting a lot of recognition yep. for her acting, but is in stuff that's very successful. Yep, won the Golden Globe for yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that that one, that's very suspect, I'll say that. Dolomite, I think maybe people didn't perceive it as an Oscar movie, but if you saw it, like, why can't we vote for a fun, feel-good? It's all so much heart. And it's about making movies, yeah. too. So I, you know, I knew that and it's... I'll say this, too. Having made films, it <laughs> captures what it feels like. Yeah. Like and, and a lot of times when you see movies being made on on film, they romanticize it or whatever. And I even think the disaster artist did this a lot where it's like that doesn't feel yeah. like how they yeah. really did that. No, it's hard. All right. I want to I want to interject in here. OK, Dolomite is so much fun and I love the movie. But if you look at R rated best picture winner type of things, too, it's like and the best picture kind of sets the stage for most of the other categories. Not always, but, you know, they, it sets the stage. There's not. R-rated comedies in that pantheon. Yeah, I mean that, and especially filthy, dirty, sort of fun. Would, would you call Dol- Dolomite is my name a comedy though? I I would not. I, I would call it a comedy. I think there's a lot of laughs along the way in that for I, sure. I think it has a lot of humor in it, but I think that it is. I would call it maybe. I don't know. I hate I hate calling things a dramedy, but to me, mm-hmm. it's a true story. That's a funny story that really happened, and I think that it is. You know, it's obviously not a documentary about making that movie. So they've taken a lot of creative license, but I feel like it's creating the the same kind of vibe. And the disaster artist did get all kinds of random awards love, which I honestly did not agree with myself. And so to me, I feel like Dolomite is something that is uh, at least as deserving as something like the disaster artist. I think Dolomite is a comedy with a bunch of drama along the way. I think it was sold as a comedy. I think that but you talk about that heart and that sweetness and a lot of the comedy comes from real life. You know, and then a lot of it is exaggerated and and, and goofy. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's not the Nutty Professor comedy. It's not, uh, and I'm and I'm not even trashing that kind of comedy. I, I'm just saying it's not it's not a a laugh generating machine like a lot of movie comedies you would go see. Like even something like The Hangover. Uh, one of the writers described it as the sweetest movie you'll ever see that uses the mother effer word three hundred times. <laughs> For real. For real. <laughs> Anyway, I loved it. Um, okay, well, I think that about wraps up our pre-Oscar special. <laughs> so, so what's your what's your takeaway? Should everyone write in Dolomite? What's the uh, <laughs> well? Can you? It's funny. I was saying my two favorite movies of the year are Ite movies, Parasite and mm-hmm. Dolomite. So, uh, yeah, sure, write in Dolomite slash Parasite. Can I tell you my favorite movie of the year because it was nominated for Ready or nothing? Not? I love Ready or Not. Ready or Not is great, but, but I wouldn't say that it, it was a movie that I think. If, if it was something that had been had an Oscar push, it would have uh, Oscar buzz. It was called Tigers Are Not Afraid. Yeah. And it's a Mexican film. And That's it is, brutal, though. It's beautiful yep. and brilliant. And I loved every second of it. And I found it to be as emotional and moving as anything else that I've seen. And it's a movie that is getting pretty much, you know, I mean, it, it was released, you know, straight to streaming. It didn't get a theatrical that I know of. It's a great movie, but it is brutal. And I understand if people don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's like uh, Chernobyl. People had to tell me where the dog scenes were so I could fast forward oh, past man. them. You'd be fast forwarding through that whole movie. That was rough. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Anyway, so oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. That was terrible. I'm sorry. It's, I'm a dad now. I have to make these, these jokes. <laughs> dad jokes. Anyway, well, thank you so much for coming on here. And maybe we'll bring you back after the Oscars or, uh, you know, we'll make this a yearly thing Oh, my thing God. I will be on a beach somewhere after the Oscars. But <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But we'll have to bring we'll have to bring you on uh, sure, some happily. other time. And uh, thanks again for doing this. And, uh, and where can people find you uh, if people are looking for you online? Oh, you can find me at Janelle Riley on Twitter and Instagram and all the socials. And it's spelled J-E-N-E-L-L-E. Yes. R-I-L-E-Y. I've made that mistake, actually. Oh, every, my parents make it. Well, not my dad. He's dead. But um, <laughs> I should have said my family still makes that they, mistake. They, your dad still could have made that From mistake. From beyond the grave, yeah. my dad. He's... Like, I haven't gotten his Ouija board messages because... <laughs> He's going for the Ouija Yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> Isn't it great? We can joke about dead parents. <laughs> I do all the time. Yeah, I know. I, I learned it from watching you. <laughs> um, well, cool. Thanks again for coming on. And everyone go follow Janelle Riley. Please. This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.